Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. If you're committed to living a healthier life, you might want to look into working herbs into your wellness routine. There's a reason people have trusted them for thousands of years. Nature's Way understands that nature is the ultimate problem solver, and they're constantly inspired by the power of nature. For example, their ginger root and slippery elm bark have been traditionally used for digestive support. And St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support. And because Nature's Way sources from around the world and does a ton of comprehensive potency and quality testing in their state-of-the-art lab, you can be sure you're getting top-quality herbs. To learn more, visit naturesway.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, this is Allie Wentworth, host of Go Ask Allie. My listeners want more, so we are digging in. Comedian Amy Schumer. As far as cancel culture goes, I think that the people who are the most afraid and complaining about cancel culture are the ones who are in danger of being canceled and they need to take a look at themselves. I agree with you. You know, I'm not worried about it because I know my intentions and I know that I'm like open to evolving. Listen to Go Ask Allie every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. On the latest season of The Next Question with Katie Couric podcast, Katie dives into, well, Katie. Hear exclusive podcast-only conversations between Katie and the people who made her memoir, Going There, possible. Katie is a pack rat. And she has basically her own archive of sorts in her basements. Plus, Katie explores some of the big news stories she's covered over the decades and the people behind them, like Anita Hill. I thought I could just get back to my life, and that wasn't possible. It was not going to be the same. There's plenty of Katie's signature curiosity and no-holds-barred interviews, along with some of her own revealing answers. We spent a lot of time together uh, around a dining room table here and in the city, and, you know, it, it was a very intense experience. All episodes of Next Question with Katie Couric are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Greg Daniels. I was the showrunner of The Office. Hello, everyone. It's me. That's right. Your trusty host, Brian Baumgartner, and you are listening to The Office Deep Dive. Thank you for joining me once again. Today, I am very pleased to bring you part two of three of my conversation with Greg Daniels. Now, think of this as the second act of a three-act play. If Greg's interview were the Lord of the Rings, and, and it was almost as long as that trilogy, then this would be The Two Towers, which my producer has instructed me to say is definitively the best one. Anyhow, 
By now, many of you know that Greg was the creator and showrunner of The Office. And what that means is, in addition to doing a bunch of other things, the showrunner is basically the head of the writer's room. Which is why I wanted to save this part of Greg's interview until now, as the official start of our mini deep dive on the writing of The Office. I'm very excited to kick this series off with Greg, talking about all of his theories on comedy writing, insights into the writer's room itself, and how they came up with so many great storylines. Also, towards the end of this episode, we have a special cameo appearance by Ben Silverman, our executive producer and the guy who initially hired Greg to run the show. It was so fun to have them together in the studio. A little hectic, but fun. Uh, and it's always fun and educational to listen to Greg. So without further ado, let's dive in with Greg Daniels. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. So, Mike talked about that you talked about a writing staff and assembling a writing staff. Um, and, and you described it as being like X Men. Right, that you didn't want writers who would could all write the same. Yeah, I think I called it as as a baseball team. Okay, okay. <laughs> Not that I'm, you know, so much more jockey or anything, <laughs> but the the idea that you can't get all pitchers. You know, somebody somebody has to be really good with story. Somebody has to be really good with jokes, and um, you know, I always feel like the story people should be in charge and. They talk about shows jumping the shark, and a lot of times what I think why they jump the shark is because the original writing staff has the more senior people being really good at character and story and the younger people being good at jokes. And then three years in, the senior people have left to do their own shows. Right. And the younger people are now the senior people, and it all gets really jokey. But yeah, so I, I mean, that first, that first staff, the first person I hired for anything on the whole show was BJ. And, um, and you hired him to do both immediately. Yes. He was a writer performer hire. Yeah. And, uh, Mindy also, and I saw her do her stage show, Matt and Ben. Mm -hmm. And then I read her script and I would have met with her off either one of them. And the two of them was the great combo. Paul, I had worked with on King of the Hill. Who else was that first year? Well, there was Mike. And oh, yeah, shortly, obviously Mike. Yeah. Mike had a lot of similar background to me. Like he was coming off SNL yes. and um, was uh, intellectual. Yes. With a big brain and a similar haircut. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely, we definitely vibed. Right. Some of the writers talked about, um, <laughs> both from Lee and Mike, this is how they summed it up. So you can respond or disagree that Lee and Gene were that they were really into or they excelled at the cringe comedy factor. Yes. That Mike was more optimistic. Yeah. That Mindy was more absurdist. And juicy. And juicy. Yes. Mindy was very good at finding actual conflict and actual romance between people. She was like absurdist, but but also juicy writer. Mm -hmm. um, that Paul was very, very into Michael's worst instincts. Yeah, Paul's really psychological. Okay. Very arty and very into psych psychology and Michael's brain. And that Jen Salata was very tied into Pam. That I would disagree with. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't um God, I don't feel she was that. I mean, I feel like when I think about Jen, I think about Michael stories. I think about like uh, the funeral for the bird and stuff like that. And she, another person, super into the psychology of Michael. Jen's, Jen's fascinating. Jen is like child of JPL physicist people, very brainy. Like all of her work after the office is 
like formally interesting. Like she has a screenplay where every scene is from a different year of a guy's life. And she's now doing this animated show about trees. The protagonists are trees. And, you know, she always like sets something really difficult for herself. Like you're going to do a movie about all the characters are rooted in the same spot. <laughs> Go. <you laughs> right. <know? laughs> right. <clears throat> but I, guy, I guess he was doing Pam. Well, it's interesting that you both referenced the same episode with Michael and the bird. And mm. from your perspective, it was it was Michael's story. And what Mike talked about was that it was Pam facilitating this for Michael mm. that ultimately made yeah. it an important moment. So yeah. it's just funny that you but both- I remember like Jen on the white, I don't know if Mike referenced the whiteboard, but Jen no, was No, what's in, the whiteboard? Well, okay, so- <laughs> So the writer's offices, right, we had, we were in the building that played as their office building. And Michael's office on the second floor was one of the writer's offices. And, you know, we just dressed the one wall that faced the parking lot. And then there was a trailer in the parking lot behind it where we had the table readings. And that was like sometimes a room that the writers would go to when they had to work something out. And that episode was a very... Um, tricky episode because Michael did not know what the story was. Michael was in complete denial that he was really upset that the guy who had his job uh, had died and nobody cared in the office. Like he right. didn't, but he wasn't aware that that was the story. And he fixated on the bird and nobody knew what the story was until Pam figured it out. <laughs> but anyway, it's hard to write that. It's unusual because a lot of times we would use these talking heads to announce what the story was. You know, it would be like, today is diversity day. Right, and, you right, know, a guy's right. coming in to, t you know, whatever. <laughs> and um, so Jen went into that trailer and we came in and it looked like she was tracking a serial killer. She had like all these lines and, you know, <laughs> diagrams on the whiteboard. And it was all about in every moment, what does Michael think is happening? What is really happening subconsciously? It was like a very complex story. But that's that's my like most classic gen moment to me. Right. Well, the variety, I, I've been told that this wasn't intentional. You were looking for the best people. You were looking for specific matches. But one of the things that you did was by hiring people with such diverse backgrounds, even in acting, right? So on the writers, you were looking for writers with different skills. But on the acting side, you know, myself and Rain, essentially, we were straight theater guys. That's true. And That's I right. was doing mostly drama. And then you had, you know, Steve and Angela and... Uh, Oscar, who were like improv guys. And well, you had how did you get so good? That's the part I don't understand. You also used to do something that was so useful. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but we would have these scenes and you need a button. A button? Yeah. I'm so proud that you said this. Yes. You've never said this to me before, oh, really? but I thought, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm glad that it was good. Like, obviously it was intentional, but we would get into these scenes and they'd be funny scenes. And there was no point to edit. And we were like, how do we get out of the scene? And then we'd be like, Kevin, Kevin's done something. And, <laughs> and we'd go, yep, there he is. I'm very proud of that. I'm Kevin very banged into the wall on his way out. That's the end point. Well, and that, I mean, again, that goes to the ensemble that was being created. I mean, Randall in the beginning, yes. But then certainly as we went on and it was way more Matt Sohn as the camera guy, he, I would, I would look at him. And I would give him, it was like, <laughs> it was like a quarterback, right? Yeah. Who, who, who gave a nod to the wide receiver, like the ball's coming your way. Like, yeah. go. and at the end of the scene, he would whip that camera around. Cause I had something that I was going to do oh, that's and awesome. to try to find some end. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Oh, you it's saved finally, us. You saved us so often. And it's, it's great because you wouldn't know, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't on set all the time. Right. I mean, the, the 28 episodes, you, I had to be in the editing room a ton of time and or, writing or new with episodes. the writers. Yeah. And so a lot of times I would miss some of the fun on set and then, you know, you'd be in the, in the depths and the, with me and, you know, Dave in this room in the middle of the night and <laughs> like, oh, please God, please, did Brian do anything? <laughs> and you always saved the day. Oh great. my God. That's so awesome. Um, so how do you feel like diversity day helped created our version of the show? And was it important to you at that time that, that we look at issues of social relevance? Or again, was it just because it was funny? Oh, well, you know, 
the first season, a lot of them were great topics. And I remember saying to everybody after we wrapped the pilot, I was like, I had such a great time doing the pilot. And I was, I remember saying to everybody, if this is all we get, I'm happy. We did a great job. And I remember saying that after the first season, I, I you know, I said that pretty much every season for a long time. It was, it was great fun. And in the beginning, it didn't look like we were going to be on for very long. Right. So you, you know, you took what joy you had. Right. Um, but definitely when we got five episodes for season one, I know I had the feeling of, well, let's make these five count. You know, let's say what we can say with this show in case this is all we get. Let's, you know, do our best. And in adapting it, I felt that all the themes of the show, how how Michael would put his foot in it and everything, like when you try and bring that to America, race relations is the big thing that he would do, you know? It's like our our history of slavery and race relations and civil rights and everything, it's just more present in American culture, I think. There's a few interesting differences. Like for instance, in England, for whatever reason, ambition is looked at very poorly. Like how Jim was was didn't seem too ambitious. That was a way they were signaling the English audience that he was super likable. Okay. But it's different in America. And so like I think a lot of times people are more like, well, if he doesn't like his job, why isn't he why doesn't he move? Or get his shit together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. right. You know? And so interesting. Yeah. So that was something that that we had to adjust and stuff. But Diversity Day was really big. It was the first time we were like on our own. We're not looking at any British scripts and really wanted to set up the characters properly. And since it seemed like of all topics, and I use this term, er story, uh-huh. you are, I don't know where it comes from. It kind of means like the root story, like the most representative one. And like for me on King of the Hill, it was um, Hank's unmentionable problem. If you, if you know that one where he's constipated and he has to go in and have a yes, colonoscopy, yes, yes, <laughs> it yes. seemed like of everything that Hank was, the fact that people were talking about his constipation would be <laughs> the worst <laughs> Absolutely, <to him>. right, <laughs> right, know? right. And so the Diversity Day was kind of like an attempt to find that, that super representative story of like, how is Michael going to step in at the worst? And we worked out a lot of interesting things with diversity day because <clears throat> the first time that it was broken it was in chronological order and it took place i believe over a couple of days and then we were like eh, it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right you know it, it feels more docu to be in one day so we kind of had this flashback aspect to it where we we started the story on it's today's diversity day and a guy's coming to train us and then we found out oh they're training because a couple days ago you did this thing, right right right, we, right we kind of flashed it back and then with the pam and jim of it i had said to bj here's what i want uh, something like this something like he has a terrible day and they're in this horrible boring meeting and she falls asleep and her head falls on his shoulder and it's this precious memory for him. And then she wakes up and it was just this little thing, but it tur- totally turns his day around. I was like, try and find something like that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and when he came back with the outline, he used that. And he was like, I, I tried. I couldn't <laughs> find anything better than that. I thought that was good. <laughs> um, you know, and it was sort of like something that people had personal, you know, it just felt very relatable. And that was something I, I also felt was a feature of Seinfeld was observational yes. stuff, like really connecting with people by noticing a moment that everybody's had but hasn't been done to death before. And I felt like that was a good one, like like somebody that you liked who kind of leaned on you or something. Right. And, um, and then we had um, Tom Huang was our writer's assistant. He was the one who suggested the thing with the cards. Okay. Because he had had that happen to him in some some training okay. thing. And we were like, yep, we'll take that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really great episode. I mean, I, I, it's hard to imagine. Like, we did 201 episodes, but the second one might have been the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, well, it's hard to find many that, are, that you could say are better. It's, yeah. it, it, it's always amazing to me when people 
they say one of two things. Like one, like, oh, I didn't like it in the beginning, but then it, it caught on. It was too – and then you mentioned diversity, Dan. They're like, oh, yeah, that's – and that was that was yeah. the second one. Yeah, I think that – because, I, I mean, pretty much everything I like or have had – I've worked on has had the same sort of trajectory. Like certainly was the case with Parks and Rec. But um, it's character comedy. And if you're going to make the choice – to do that Jack Benny thing of your money or your life and not just have a guy stand there and tell the setup and the punchline in the same line, right? If you're going to go with character comedy, you got to learn who the characters are. Right. And the audience has to figure it out. And um, that takes some time. So they always tend to start slow. They don't start with a bang usually. So I wasn't thrown or worried when it started slow. Right. But there is a difference between season one and season two. Well, so that was my next question. So I... um you felt like, to my understanding, all of the writers disagreed with you, but after the 40-year-old version and seeing Steve and seeing him in a new way and what his sensibility was that you needed to change, Michael. That was a part of it for sure. But like, you know how I said the the goal with the pilot was, could we even produce something that looked like The Office? Right. right? It was a production type of deal. So then- Going into season one, it was like, okay, can we write The Office? Can we write stories that are like this and are just as good but not use the British scripts or anything like that? And then I think we achieved that. But then we didn't have very good ratings. <laughs> right. And Kevin was really a fan of the show. And the middle management at NBC were fans of the show too, which was really funny because I, I went to like – whatever the upfronts, the things where they yes. would present it. And all the middle management would come and tell me how much they loved it. And they would point to the senior management as being Michael <laughs> Scotty. Like you could say, it was, you know, <laughs> you could tell like they were feeling oppressed by people, uh, not Kevin, but other people in the, in the structure. But anyway, it was really hard to get picked up. And Kevin said, okay, Greg, you have to come in and pitch me how you're going to change it because it has to change. You can't do the same thing season two as you did season one. And I'm not sure exactly where I was. I feel like I might have been on vacation or something, but I wrote on a napkin. I tried to come up with things that would rehabilitate Michael. And also I realized that I had been treating the office like everything I had learned on King of the Hill didn't count. It was a new show and it was like artier or whatever. And then I realized, uh, no, everything I learned on King of the Hill is still valid. And the thing with King of the Hill was when that show started, Hank wasn't very likable. Like I, I kind of came in and had to rewrite that show a certain amount and create a situations where Hank would be able to be kind of conservative, but in a likable way. So a lot of the other characters are there to make him more likable and appropriate. Right. You know? And so, for instance, he has his niece there so that he can be very Boy Scouty. And you know what I mean? Right. Be like, oh, right. yeah. you know, don't, don't show me the whole, your under, under things, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, um, and, you know, his his dad is way over the top horrible yes. so that he's kind of you go oh well poor hank i mean growing that's up where with it came that, from you know right, exactly right, right. yeah he's doing his best right you know so there was like little tricks like that to try and kind of normalize and center the character right and so i come back in with this napkin and it had all these beats that i felt we could create a show around like for instance the idea that okay his team feels very oppressed by him and is always rolling their eyes at him. But if an outsider criticized him, they'd back him up. So that became the Dundies, right? Where everybody's enjoying making fun of Michael's award show. But when when people who don't work there start like heckling him and throwing stuff, they kind of rally around him. Yes. And one of them was Michael should give somebody really good advice at some point. And so that became Booze Cruise where he's like handcuffed to something and he tells Jim not to give up ever and to still go after Pam. And I knew people really wanted Jim to do that. So to hear Michael kind of turn Jim and make him stay the course, you really like Michael. Right. Uh, and there's other examples of it, right? But like, oh, good at his job. And you realize, okay, 
he's not a great manager, but he's a really good salesperson. You know, he's like everything that makes him a bad manager, his caring what other people think and his changeability and everything and desperate need to be liked makes him a really good salesperson. So it became more like the Peter principle, like he'd been promoted past his level of expertise here, but that wasn't so bad. Right. And then, you know, like seeing him with kids, like Halloween, the ending of Halloween. Yes. To see him desperately want to have a friend at work, but you can't because you're the boss and you have to fire somebody and just be so bummed out and then just light up when the kids come trick-or-treating and everything. Right. Yeah, things like that. And we kind of turned the boat on him. And, uh, you know, that was a different show after that. Mike told me that there was a lot that basically all the other writers disagreed with, with you about changing it. The idea being, um, you were right, by the way, but the idea, <laughs> the idea, the idea being like, no, we're doing this special show. And if we burn into a blaze of glory, that's fine. But we're going to keep, you know, that idea. Yep, and yep. you, and you said, no, we're doing the same show. 90%, but we're going to have just a few moments, like you mentioned, at the end of episodes or at certain moments where we just take him and tweak him a little bit. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, what I was trying to do was intention, because if you can have a purity of intention, he can do the worst things in the world for comedy. But as an audience, you sense that he didn't do it in order to be cruel or to be a jerk. He's trying. So like the hardest one of all was Scott's tots. And Lee and Gene are not the guys you go to for this humanizing aspect <laughs> right, for, right, for one right. thing. But, um, and you know, obviously for comedy, right? I mean, and I think Ricky and Steven put it in the bones of the show, right? He, he does the wrong thing. The show knows what the right thing is, but he doesn't. And he's right. always doing the wrong thing. And that's like the bones. So it did. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade. At the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Freak out the writers a little bit because they were worried that it was going to be too far away. Um, but with Scott's Tots, I was like, okay, um, from his perspective, what he intended was 
he intended to be successful and to be a hero and to be a philanthropist and to make a big positive impact in these guys' lives. That was his intention. It was a good intention, you know? Right. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was a good intention. He, he didn't make it. Executed <laughs> he didn't handle terribly. it very well. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> but as long as you, like, to me, that was the key of that episode because, like, most of it was about the intention. And if you could get that right, you could get all your jokes, but you would still protect the character. And to me, this was a very King of the Hill type of thing because, like, in that episode that I mentioned, Hank's Unmentionable Problem, you know, it could have been all butt jokes the whole right. time. But we played it like a, a medical drama where the real conflict was Peggy saying, why don't you open up to me? You're going to die. I mean, she's having dreams that his reticence is going to kill him and right. she's going to be a widow. You know, so we we played this sort of realistic drama aspect and then you got all your poop jokes that you wanted, you know, right. <laughs> but it didn't look like that was the point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you had a little bit more leeway. And sort of the same thing. I think that, you know, it really hurt Michael that he wasn't able to be the guy he thought he was going to be when he made these promises. So you kind of got all your being a jerk comedy jokes, but you also were like, oh, <laughs> right, he's not right. the worst guy in the world. Right. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Glory Adam, host of Well-Read Black Girl. Each week, I sit in close conversation with one of my favorite authors of color and share stories about how they found their voice, honed their craft, and navigated the publishing world and composed some of the most beautiful and meaningful words I've ever read. We journey together through the cultural moment where art, culture, and literature collide and pay homage to the women whose books we grew up reading. And of course, I check in with members of the Well-Read Black Girl Book Club. It's the literary kickback you never knew you needed. And you're all invited to join the club. So tell your friends to tell their friends so we can be friends who love books. 
Listen to Well-Read Black Girl on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A few people have talked to you about one of your core ideas, which is the idea of truth and beauty. Yeah. That was my thing with Randall. I would yeah. go, truth and beauty, truth and beauty. Yeah. And what did that, what did that mean to you? Um, well, you know, to me, that was, I, I, I think that's some romantic poet. I'm not sure where that came from. Okay. Somebody like John Keats or something. I don't know. And I don't even know what he meant by it. But the way I used to use it with Randall was that's what we're going for in the camera, right? Let the camera seek out truth. That's what it's trying to find. That's the point of a documentary. What's the truth? And also not like a cynical negative truth. Like also where, where's the beauty? It's like another principle of photography of like a good photograph is, you know, a little sprig of weed coming through the cracked concrete or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, where are you going to do something that's a little bit inspiring, but find it in a truthful way out in the real world? Right. Well, Mike sure talked about it and you told a story about, um, a parking lot, an endless parking lot with lines and parking spaces. And in one crack, there's a little flower, ah, a little dandelion. He that's, said that? That's, yeah. that's funny. I just made the same. Yeah. Yes. I think that, that, you know, I'm, I like the notion of aesthetic, like what are you searching for in art? And the Japanese have interesting aesthetics with a cracked pot. Did he mention that? No. I used to use that a lot. No. So I think it's called woo. I'm not sure. Okay. But it's the notion of a perfect pot is okay, you know, and we in the West probably value a perfect pot, but a cracked pot where the crack suddenly makes you feel the history of the pot and the people who've used it in their family and have treasured it and kept it even with the crack in it. Like it suddenly cracks through, you know, it suddenly will, will touch you. It's those little details often of imperfections. That's like a, a, it's just a cool sort of philosophy. Yes. Yeah. I have uh, so far off topic, but a number of years ago, my parents were moving out of their house and I went for a week and I was like helping them and throwing out all of this trash. And we go into like the corner of the closet in a guest room that no one ever slept in. And in the closet, there was a big piece of paper that was folded up and I, I unfolded it and it was a Kennedy poster that my dad had like handed out or seen or collected or whatever. And the Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Remember saying to him, can I have this? And he's like, yeah, it's like all torn or whatever. Yeah. And I took it and I framed it. And I took it to the display, and they were like, oh, we can, you know, do this or that. And I was like, no, 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 the crack has to stay there. Yeah. And the wrinkle, the folded marks, just as lightly as you can mat this on something yeah. and enclose it, because I want that history of it. I don't know, that idea. Yeah. Well, also, like, I mean, you know, I don't get too psychological, but, you know, when you think about your dad, right, you're, so the the relationship that you have with your father, the fact how old that they are, and just the sense of, like, passage of time being important to that relationship and fragility of it and knowing that it may not be around forever. And I can completely see why a tear in your dad's poster right. adds to the, right. the emotion of it. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Totally. Um, well, there's a lot about writing that isn't necessarily only about the office, but you know, like when you have a set of principles that you're trying to do for the show, Right. If you're going to say, all right, I want to be realistic. I want to be relatable. Uh, you know, I want to be observational. If you're going to follow those principles, you're going to end up commenting on what's around you. And this to me goes back a long way. It isn't unique to the show necessarily, but like when I was on the Simpsons, which is, this is, you know, it's complete cartoon, but the way that one Simpsons writer, won respect from another Simpsons writer when I was there was you did something super real. You had a line that just found, like it just came out of a teenager and it was just perfectly, you know, real to the situation. And somehow in contrast to the cartooniness of it, that always seemed to be like a cool thing. And then when I got to King of the Hill, we used to do a lot of research. We would go to Texas. I'd take the writers to Texas every season and we'd fan out with our reporters' notebooks and we'd you know, we'd try and dig up unique stories because I always felt like the shows that I really liked, the stories were original. Like something had happened to one of the writers or, you know, they weren't just going like, well, what did the, what did Cheers do? Let's do a version of that or something. You had to go out and do your own work and dig up your own stories. Right. Well, Mike Sure told me even multiple years into the run of the show, and at this point we're a huge hit, when we went to Scranton for the writer's convention, they did the same thing. You sent that. You said, "Fan out, go, you know, go walk down this street, see what places you find." And they yeah. found restaurants and yeah, it was cool. We went to people. Port Richards and yeah, a lot of you now. Of course, like when we done that, sh when we did the show, the internet was a thing, so you could go online and search all the bars and right, you know, sure, sure, Google Map or whatever, see what they look like from the outside. But a lot of that happened while we were doing the show, and Phil was great at that. Phil Shea used to go to Scranton and have all these deals with different businesses and radio stations. And he'd come back with props for the set. They were all super authentic. Right. Well, and on that note, going back a little bit, but why did you pick Scranton in the first place? Yeah. Well, there were a lot of factors that went into that. So you wanted to place that was outside of a city, but they never went. And a place that was a little faded. And I felt the Northeast part was kind of important to me. Like it was a, an adaptation of an English show and something about the North Northeast, New England, kind of mid-Atlantic felt more like England in certain ways. And Scranton has like a name that's kind of- Hard to say. It's a, it's a comedy word. It's got a K sound. It's <laughs> Scranton, you know. But the interesting thing was that when- you know, when I picked it, I talked to people at Scranton, journalists, and there's this guy, Josh McAuliffe, 
worked at the Scranton newspaper, and he was really skeptical that we were going to be nice to Scranton. Right. And I had to say to him, look, you know, I did King of the Hill. I went to Texas. I didn't make fun of them. I understood them. I like did the work to figure out what life was like for people in Texas. And the point is not to do cheap jokes, making fun of the environment. The point is to be specific and find a, a world and you'll be okay. Don't worry. <laughs> right. So it did work out nicely. Like I think we got to love Scranton by going to visit for that convention. And, and then it was, you know, amazing to come back and go to the ball field and everything. And I think it's been good for the, the city. Yeah. And the other thing is like the city is so much more beautiful than, than, you know, our corner of Van Nuys that we were shooting in next to the granite cutter. I feel like we did a little bit of an injustice to how pretty the city is. Right. A lot of natural beauty. Very hard to recreate in Van Nuys. Yes. <laughs> The art world, it is essentially a money laundering business. The best fakes are still hanging on people's walls, you know? They don't even know or suspect that they're fakes. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is a podcast about deception, greed, and forgery in the art world. You knew the painting was fake. Um. Listen to Art Fraud. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel, and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl. Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind-the-scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this. At the end when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke. I believe that. Whoa. I feel like I did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I, I, I tossed that one out. Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Oh, we have a special, uh, we have a special guest that's coming in. Hey, hey how are you? Hi, thank you so much for having fun with us, oh, sir. Look at you, you're the one that got this. Isn't this awesome? Yes, look at this. Years later, it's this cool. is so cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna come back. All right. Well, you you're welcome to join, join in. Yeah, I'll join you for a minute. Yeah, Benny, sit down. Pull that microphone in front of you. Yeah, okay, I'll join you. For I didn't want to interrupt you. Guys. Um, did you say we're rolling? Okay. Just make sure that mic is close to you. Greg, when um what were your first impressions of Ben when you <laughs> met with Ben? Let me see. Well, you know, Ben, I like I grew up in New York. Right. right? So Ben has a vibe that I recognized that was fun for me. Like I could sense that he grew up in the same kind of environment of sort of brainy you know, city life. And that was really fun. And he's got an enthusiasm, like uh, energy that I don't have. Like we, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about, you know, the methodical nature, right. You could also say maybe plotting uh, <laughs> of how I approach stuff. And Ben is like, you know, Mercury, like he zooms in and, but also very 
able to draw pieces in from all over the place and make a coherent vision. So I remember finding Ben very uh, cool and attractive to hang with. And and Greg was always my first choice, so that probably put me in a good position for Greg to view me nice. It's always yes, it's always, like always that. good. It's always <laughs> like that. But I and and the thing when you say that about the New York thing, and then we progress to Greg's father now plays bridge with my mother's best friends. You know, fifty years later, yeah. you know, so it's incredible. Yeah. Also, the experience that we both had in connecting on this show was like about the architecture of television and the architecture of the idea because so much about it was newly conceived but we kept talking about with a shared love of television we were not we were people who love tv and we grew up loving tv you know and all of those elements drew us and i think what was incredible about ricky and steven in our initial dialogues that we had with them is that they also love TV. And American TV. And American TV and American cinema. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. Like when I grew up in New York on PBS, you'd get Monty Python or Faulty Towers or something. And you go, oh my God, British TV is so great. You know, it's so smart. And they would only get our best stuff. They would only get like Friends and Seinfeld or whatever. And they grew up with the exact same feeling of like, oh my God, we can never compete. American TV is only the best, the best of the best. Right. And when I was expressing at some point to Ricky and Steven how much I was a fan of British TV, they were like, well, most of it stinks, you know, because <laughs> they, they had, you know, they'd seen like all of the failures or whatever that they had been exposed to. And they, they were big fans of, of US TV. And I talked also, Greg, when I was talking to Brian about the intellectual rigor that you, have as a as a person and a writer not just as a well, man you respond of to that that's the cool part because most of the time you walk into a situation people do not want that no they they want and, and you scared sur- and you right. surrounded the entire show with that you know it was an incredible group conan used to like so in the very beginning of my career i was writing partners with conan o'brien and he used to say to me when you overthink you start to stink <laughs> that's good yeah because <laughs> he he kind of pegged me as an overthinker uh so that that would always go through my mind sometimes but well but purposeful i mean that's the yeah thing that's that, a much nicer i like the way yeah you're describing no, it yeah, yeah purposeful i mean that's part of driven life yeah. of our conversation was that we were creating something that was against network norms that was against how traditional sitcoms were constructed and the reason I say purposeful is because the decisions that you made were made specifically yeah. to move that forward. Well, you also could out defend anyone who wanted to shift where we were going. Yeah. I also feel like I was, you, you caught me at the exact right time because, I mean, I was trying to add up the number of hours that I had in the, you know how they talk about 10,000 hours? Like I had 10,000 <laughs> hours before King of the Hill and I probably had another 15 <laughs> 20,000 hours, you know, from that show, but I, I, I wasn't exhausted. You know, I was like, I definitely had a lot of good experience and a lot of thoughts about how I would do a live action show differently and still enough energy to try and. Yeah. And a hunger to do it because it's so different now, but you get kind of placed into a framework really quickly like oh you're great at animation or i was great at reality or right. you're, you know like especially when there's only four networks it's so different now it's it's crazy but also like if you have a particular sense of humor when i started there really wasn't any room for that sense of humor in half hour so like i i went to saturday night live because late night was where you had to do that kind of more niche you know humor and then cartoons Okay, well, you can kind of do it in cartoons. Cartoons are single camera right. form, but um, you know they seem to have their own thing. They weren't like your typical network sitcom. And then the, we had this little crack in in the selling world where cable had come out and HBO was big, and the networks were like, "Well, what should we do? Maybe we should be more like cable." And, and I don't think we would have been able without having had a British show. To hide behind. Right. right. It wouldn't have survived. Do you remember the marketing? That was to me hilarious because 
when the show oh the way they try to sell it out of the apprentice yeah so we had um you know we'd done the first season and the marketing department all they knew was will and grace so they took uh single lines out of context pop 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 right uh and that was the the first ad and out of context None of them played like jokes because right. of what we were talking about, right? We didn't do like set up punchline jokes. It was right. all behavior and context and acting and everything. And it was horrifying. You you look at these ads and you go, oh my God, we have the stupidest, un- most unfunny show in the world. And they were like, yeah, God, you guys are going down. <laughs> and, and I had to say, look, the frame has to be different. You got to blow up one moment and let it play Otherwise, we're doomed because it isn't a you know a highlight reel. Right. That's not how the show. I mean, right. now it kind of does actually. Now everybody loves the show. You you could make a great highlight reel out of moments. Sure. Well, because they know the character. Because they know the character. Everybody's so yeah. invested in what they're going to do. But when you introduce those characters, right, to a broadcast platform, I mean, it was very yeah. so tricky. They would, cut, they would just like quickly, you know, cut to Michael saying, "Well." There's going to be downsizing, as if it was a joke. As if it was a joke. Something else. <laughs> um, Greg, what was the decision behind making the incredible casting decision to cast Ben as Isaac? <laughs> I probably asked him. Yeah, that's right. Well, the the point that I I was sort of making a joke, but that the typical agent Hollywood selling, and that Ben and you are on the outside, sort of an unlikely pair. But I will never forget. We did this um, panel at the Paley Festival, and we were being idiots, telling jokes and making the audience laugh. And then the moderator addresses a question to Ben, and Ben goes into, at the moment, seemed like five to seven minute speech about the history of comedy and tracing the office's roots. I mean, just incredibly encyclopedia knowledge like dissertation on comedy in the show and he stops talking and it's quiet and you turn to the moderator and you go well and that's why he's my boss <laughs> and just like that like there was like i don't know it was just the moment has resonated to me forever yeah uh, to me that reminds me of lauren michaels like lauren has this ability to put it all together and make a charismatic vision out of it and Part of that, I think, with Ben is the overview. Like uh, he's seeing the entire business, the history of the business, all these different genres inside the business, different types of shows, what's next, what's coming down the pike. You know, the overview is what most people don't have. And for him to be able to put it together, you're kind of like, I, I can't judge if it's real or not, but it's so it's so inspiring. It's like. Well, it has to, you have to, it's just so hard to get anyone to take any risk that if you haven't thought through every element of their organization's thinking about what you're trying to accomplish, you end up running into a wall, you know, and you look to align yourself with collaborators and partners along the journey who are willing to have that fight together. However, that works in partnership, because I look, I don't think I could have done, I mean, I, I mean, I, it was all I could do to make the show. The, if I had also had to, and all they sell wanted it to do, defend it, and all they wanted to do was not make it? the show. Exactly. You know, and so that's where you have to be able to do that and put that energy in. But there's so many times I reflect back and I look just how unbelievably wonderful the people were in and around the show itself. Well, I had to like roam the executive suites. Uh, you know, I, know. I uh, it was so uh, sad because because uh, Ben all would I come back do is like covered be- in in blood and gore from being beaten. <laughs> you know, with all these business types, and he'd come to the set, and we we're you know he, making he, making unbelievable work. And I'm like, so I much. wanted to be in this. <laughs> that was yeah. the business I thought I signed up for. But oh my gosh, it was so great to be there. And then all the choices you made that we were able to defend. And I also talked about, and even our physical production apparatus that you created was transformative for broadcast TV. Like they didn't even understand what we were doing in our offices and our writer room, writers. Room, right. Some of those were practical. Yeah. That they were yeah. real and not really, you know, like they were yeah. so thrown by it all. Like we found that uh, we were kicked out of our season one 
situation. There, there was not a lot of support in the beginning, and I think for them to no, have they they didn't keep our rent. sets. Yeah, they right. didn't wouldn't keep it up. At the time, I didn't even you know ever bring that up, but they didn't. Even, they literally are like, no, we're not going to cover the rent till we make this decision. Yeah, so we were out, and you know, and we used the the parking lot uh, in Hot Girl and stuff, and we'd established sure. what it looked like and everything. So we had to find some place where you could use the street and everything. And we looked all over Van Nuys, and the sad part was most of the places we looked at. I remember were too were, nice. Well, no, they were doing porn. Oh my god! Literally, that? <laughs> oh my no, god! Yeah, I remember going to one place and and I was like, "Well, this this looks sort of wholesome. What is this?" And it was there was like a set with a a swing and a tree and stuff, and and uh, they were like, oh, "No, god. more porn, more porn." Someone told me this again in terms of like creating that reality for the actors that we were going into an office, so there was a little room off of set right behind the accountants where you could watch stuff that was being filmed, where you had an office, but that you built that out to look like an office from the outside. So that the idea was that actors, when they walked onto a soundstage, didn't walk onto a soundstage. They walked into a carpeted area with walls that was like an office. Do you remember that? Not wanting the actors to go onto a soundstage. I remember that on our original set, there was a very low, like low hanging lintel or whatever. Like the doorway was made of concrete or something and very low. And I would run from my office up to the set to give a note. And I'd run back to watch it and I'd run back and forth and everything. And I cracked my head on that, on that low thing. And right. Then, do you remember that there was like a pad? Somebody put a pad, pad saying up. like yes. Greg Daniels Memorial yes. forehead pad or something like yes. that. Because I kept smacking my head on that thing. Yeah. All those smacks knocked out any other memory of why <laughs> why it was there. All right. Well, thankfully, it seems that the low-hanging lentil did not knock out all of Greg's memories of the show. Because we talked about it for, like... Two more hours. So I'm going to save the rest for when we dive into the later seasons and ultimately the end of the show. In the meantime, we will be back next week with another interview with one of our amazing writers. Truly, as Paul Feig once said, this was an all-star Hall of Fame writing staff. I'm so happy we got to talk to so many of them. Uh, thank you so much, listeners, for listening, which is what listeners do. And uh, and have a great week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr, and our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes, and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. The art world, it is essentially a money laundering business. 
the best fakes are still hanging on people's walls. You know, they don't even know or suspect that they're fakes. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is a podcast about deception, greed, and forgery in the art world. I just walked in and saw this bright red painting presuming to be a Rothko. Of course, art forgeries only happen because there's money to be made. A lot of money. I'm listening to how what they're paying for these things. It was incredible amounts of money. You knew the painting was fake. Um. Listen to Art Fraud on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.